dive in this morning. Uh, first and foremost, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Yeah, fathers, we are thankful. Uh, Scott, we're going to go ahead and come forward. We're going to be doing, uh, we have a couple of, a few drawings to all of the, all of the men, all the fathers. Do you all have raffle tickets? Did you all get them? Okay. If you did not get one, uh, those extras. Okay. If you don't have, if you don't have one, raise your hand. Okay. If you're like eight, hey, does he not have one? All right. Yeah, right here, right here, all the way over here. Yeah, Scott's coming around. And uh, you all need one because, listen, there are gifts in here that you could win that you want. Right over there, right here, right here, right here. There you go. They got one, Jeff? Okay. All right, go all the way back in the back. All right. I don't know, I don't know which one's which, and so, um, so we'll just kind of go with it. Oh, it's on the bottom. I think it's more fun. To, I'll, I'll know what they are. Okay. This is – yeah, I have to wait. Is it, hey, is, can you turn his mic up, Mark? Is it on? Hello. Testing. There we go. Here we go. We got a few. Yes. Walk right. faster. Here we go. Is everybody ready? Did everybody everybody got a ticket now? Okay, here we go. This is this is a Best Buy gift card for a father. All right, so let's go ahead and pull that up. Hold on a second. Now I do not have a ticket, I will just say that. Do I need one? Yeah, I need one. I'm a father. Boom, it's the only gift I'm gonna get today. Here we go. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, take, I'm going fishing. With hey, you got a tie, man. Yeah, I got a tie. Wow. All right. All right. So the winner of this is, just kidding. All right. <laughs> okay, pull that out for me and read the number out, Scott. Okay. 558994. <laughs> five, hey, hey, Best Buy. Come on up here, Andy. Yeah, let's give it up for Andy Anderson. Andy. There he is. Man, you look good in that green shirt, man. All right. Um... Here we go. Number the second thing. This is an Amazon Amazon gift card, right? This is yeah. There's you can buy anything in the world with this thing. All right. So Scott. Five five eight nine nine seven. Nine nine seven. Who has it? Nine nine seven. Nine nine seven. Going once. No. Do you oh, have it, Scott? I have a ticket. I just dropped it back in there. Nope, it's not me. Nine nine seven. Nine nine seven. Going once. Going twice. Yeah, are there any guys in the village today? No, there are. All right, next ticket, 558-989. Right there, hey, Tony, hey. Amazon. Yeah, Amazon right here. Lots of things I think you could buy from there, couldn't you? All right, here we go. Good job, good job. I'm proud of you winning that. All right, worked hard for that. All right, here we go. What you got? Elena, how hard did he work for that? Did he work pretty hard for that? Yeah, so hard. All right, here we go. All right, Home Depot, right here. Last but not least. All right, here we go. All right, Home Depot, five five eight nine eight four. Yeah! Hey, How perfect hey. is that? Yeah! Long, yeah! Yeah! There you go, man. All right, congratulations. There you go. There you go. My gift, to you, our gift to you. Vintage gift to you. All right. Fantastic. Well, hey, we love it. Well, hey, Father's Day is today, so I want to do something, too. I have a video we're going to watch. It's a little bit, and let me just go ahead and tell you, there's a little bit of cheese, like a little cheesiness to the video. Let's just go ahead and be honest. A lot of these Father's Day, but anyway, but it's a great video, okay? I think it's funny. Parts of it you can totally identify with. So, uh, Hato, let's, uh, let's launch that video, turn the lights down, and uh, let's watch this Father's Day uh, video together. Hey 
concentrate on this one for now. <laughs> hey, what's it like being a dad? <laughs> this right here goes to your future, this right here goes to you, and this right here goes to God. just replied.
Heavenly Father, thank you for being so good to us. God has the coolest job. Getting me clowns all day. Yeah, it does. <clears throat> but I think one of his very best jobs is when he made you. Daddy. Hey, what's it like being a dad? How much time you got? Awesome. This morning, I after we watched the video, I'm gonna, it's uh, obviously it just tells so many different stories, right? So many different stories, and the idea of what it means to be a dad. But I think that all of us can attest that that in our lives, and we all recognize this, that our fathers have played unbelievably powerful roles, right? Whether for for in a constructive ways, and if we're honest, sometimes destructive ways, right? But the nature of of dads is that they are vitally important. Whether you are literally a, uh, you're a, a, a natural dad or you're an adoptive dad or you've married into being a dad or, or literally if just simply in the way that you parent people here around you in your neighborhood and your family or even here at church, that dads play an unbelievably vital role. So what I want to do this morning, I want to begin by reading to you, in my opinion, probably the most powerful story about a father uh, in, in all of the New Testament. If your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. It's going to be a very familiar story uh, to, to most of you, but I'm hoping today that you may see it in just a little bit of a, of a different light. This is the story of the, the lost son or the parable of uh, the prodigal son. Let's read it together. You can read it on the screen if you don't have your Bible. It says, There was a man who had two sons. He's a father. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. Let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine who was dead and is alive again, right? He was lost and is found. So they all began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the house. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when a son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And my father, this father, it's not my son, the father said, you were always with me, and everything I have is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he was found. So often when reading the prodigal son story, the, the, the energy that we put behind it is trying to find some sort of way to identify with, with, with one of the two sons. And predominantly we hear this story in churches when they're talking to prodigals, right? Those who have kind of, who've strayed and who've gone away and they're telling the story of, hey, hopefully in reading the story you'll recognize yourself in it and you will wake up from your own issues, your own brokenness, your own sin, and you will return back to the Father. And then there's a, at the end they, they play just as I am and they say, just come forward now and receive the gospel of Jesus, right? And give your life to Him. And so we spend most most of our energies focusing on the prodigal son. But if we're completely honest, when we read the story, if we're honest, in churches, predominantly we can find ourselves connected with the elder son. Those who have lived their entire life doing the right thing, doing the good thing for God, but not getting from him what they think they deserve or what they want from him. They're frustrated with God. They don't have any level of intimacy with him. And so we find ourselves in this place as the elder son going, yeah, God, where are you and what are you doing for me? And so we spend our energies focusing on the story, thinking that the primary characters in the story are the sons. But in reality, they are just secondary characters in the story, which predominantly is about the father and about the father's love. You see, the story of the prodigal son really should be retitled the story of the father's love. Because the father is the one who ultimately is seen from the beginning all the way to the end. Isn't that usually who the predominant character is in the story? The one who's introduced, right? The one who's in the middle doing things and one who's at the end, the last one speaking. The story is usually about them. So what I want to say to us this morning, the, the story that we've always titled the prodigal son of the lost son really is a story about father and about the father and about father God. And about who the father is, and ultimately I want to say to us this morning, is not someone that we should look, we shouldn't read the story and say, God, how can I identify with one of the sons? But father, how can I identify with you? You see, that's the shift. See, Henry Nouwen, he, he makes this great point in regards to the prodigal son's story, in, in his book, the, the Return of the Prodigal Son, if you've never read any of Henry Nouwen's stuff, he needs to become a staple. He's not a very hard read, but he's just incredibly deep, right? And he writes the story, the, the, the Return of the Prodigal Son, based on his physically seeing, is, who, who painted, was it Rembrandt who painted the, the prodigal, Return of the Prodigal Son? I can't remember. It's some major painter, this beautiful, this beautiful oil painting, and he stood in front of it for hours just staring at it, diving into it. And the book is his experience of what he learned from the father in the moment of watching and looking at this painting. But one of the things he ends with in the last chapter, he says this, why talk so much about being like the sons when the real question is, are you interested in being like the father? Do I want to be like the father? Do I want to be not just the one who is being forgiven, but also the one who forgives? Not just the one who is being welcomed home, but also the one who welcomes home. And not just the one who receives compassion, but the one who offers it as well. 
All of us recognize the vital and overwhelmingly powerful, powerful role that, that fathers play in our life. In like fact, it'd be fun to maybe get up here and say, let's come up and tell your favorite story about your dad, your favorite memory of your dad, of him, of time you spent with him, of him speaking into your life, the things that he's done for you. And like Randall, we both have, she has a, well, she has a, I have a dead mom. She has a, a father who passed away back in October of 96. And listen, my favorite stories that she tells are the stories about her dad. Her dad was a great man. Some of you knew him. Just a great man. Just a great man. And he played an incredibly powerful role in shaping who she is. She's fantastic because of him and obviously because of her mom too. But I would say the predominant investment in her life in this emotional sense was her dad. And all of us could tell stories like that. When I talk about my dad, I... There are emotions that arise inside of me that don't arise when I tell stories about anybody else, and I can't tell you why, except he plays some sort of important, vital role in my life. And some of us would say, yes, but my dad was terrible, and look at what's happened to me. And what we see then in that story is the overwhelming, powerful effect that the negativity that your dad played in your life plays in your life even today. There's something, something powerful about your fathers and our fathers, of who they are in our lives like no one else in the world. Fathers are vital to our lives. And they're vital to the church. There's something powerful. Listen, I spoke one time and I said something about dads and I got reprimanded by the single mom. She came up to me and, and I, I thought unfairly, I was just making a point that was true, but I didn't cover her side of it too, right? That the single moms out there who don't have dads and, 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 and I would say this, and I looked at her and said, listen, I hear you and I get it. That, you don't, please don't be angry. But what I would say to you is that there are men who are part of the body of Christ who are called to fill the role of father and to invest into your son and daughter's lives, right? Because we have that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to just celebrate dads. I want to celebrate the influence and really I would say the power that you play in your children's lives. And I want to give this three uber practical things to consider and take just some things from this prodigal son story to kind of give you a picture of these things. All right. The first thing I want you to just to write down is who am I? Who am I? So in verse 21 through 24, this, the, it says this, the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead. And is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found, so they began to celebrate. I love this, this story, the picture of the father just coming in to his son who has no identity now of being son. He, in his mind, he simply wants to be the servant, but his father comes and just says, Love you. You are my son. One of the things that Timothy and I talked about for the last couple of weeks is that every single human being, including our children, wrestle with one primary. They wrestle with lots of things, wrestle with lots of things. But one thing that we all wrestle with is the question of who am I, of who am I? What's my value? What's my worth? What's my purpose? Is my life really even matter? Why am I here? He said there are three things. And Henry Nouwen also said this very wise. He said there are three things I believe that we primarily look to to define who we are. The first thing is I am what I do. 
The second thing is, I am what I control. And the third thing is, I am what others say about me. We understand this. How many of you, when you say, hey, tell me about yourself, and the first thing they say is, well, I am this, and they talk about what they do for a living. Because there's some sort of identity they find in what they do. They find value in it, right? Whoever it may be. And, they, and you, you've been around those people. All they can do is talk about their job, and they brag about themselves. They build themselves up and how they, the things they've accomplished. Or you may find those who, I am what I control. Those who, who, when they tell stories, they talk about who they know because it gives them power. It gives them influence, right? Have you ever been around those people that all they ever do is talk about how great they are and the things that they don't do and the things they've done because they have influence, they have power, they have control? But I would say the primary thing that our children wrestle with, and at least this is my experience when I was in junior high and, and in high school, was the third one, I am what others say about me. I am what others say about me. And I would believe in our formative years of our children's lives that, that the primary voice that they hear defining them in the context of their worth and their value of who they are is, I am what others say about me. That's why I love in this video, right? The dad comes down. And he says, hey, have I told you yes that you love me? No, but I think that you are beautiful on the inside and on the out. And she goes, whatever. And then she, you see that sly grin underneath as he walks off. And he's thinking, I'm a complete idiot. She thinks I'm an idiot, right? But instead, she's heard him. And what he's done, he's deposited into the emotional bank, the identity bank of who his daughter is. See, this was, I want you to recognize, this is for moms and dads, but I want you to hear, fathers, you, you have a, a special place in your children's lives that when you say something, you are the most powerful, countering voice in your children's lives. You say things, and you think they don't hear, and they always do. You are the primary countering voice of God in their lives. Yesterday, I told the story a second ago, just outside, but I'm sitting there at the game, softball game, softball games all day, and Randall got the brunt of it. She had to drive the stock bridge. I'm like 12 o'clock this morning, right? Literally, Anakin gets out of the car and goes, Happy Father's Day, right? And so, so I'm there yesterday, and I'm, and I'm always engaged. I'm always engaged. In this moment, though, I happen to, you know, the long day, I'm hot, I'm sitting there, and I happen to, just for the second, literally, be looking down. I hear, Daddy! And I look over, and Sarah has a bat in hand. She's walking to the batter, she's walking just to the, just to the on-deck circle. And she goes, I'm batting! Like this. She wants to know I'm looking at her. She wants to know that I have, that she has my approval. And I stand up and say, you're my girl. Yes! Hit it hard. I want you to hit it as hard as you can. I want you to buzz the pitcher's head when you hit it. She's like, okay, right? And she turns around and makes this massive swing, right? This massive swing in preparation, right? There's something about my voice and something about my presence in her life. Anna Catherine does the same thing. The other night, she gets this hit. Powers off the best hitter she had faced all year. She pulls it to the left. She legs it out and gets a single. She stands on first base, and everyone's cheering, and all ears, Daddy! 
And I stand and says, that's my girl! She's like, yeah! <laughs> right? And all the parents are going, oh, that's so sweet. I could have cared less what they thought. It was she and I only. It was a moment for she and I to share. For the rest of her life, she will see her dad standing in the bleachers saying, that's my girl. There's something we play as a counter voice in our children's life that is powerful. We are the voice of God in their lives. And when we speak this, it plays this powerful role. And the primary goal that we're speaking is to lead them to the message of Jesus. We are leading them to the message of Jesus, which is simple. They are created, they are redeemed, and they are called to live as God's beloved. I express a love that's simply a foreshadowing, a taste of the Father's love for them. I'm leading them to that. I am telling her who she is. And dads, we say that they're really practical. I heard a, a woman at seminary say this. I thought this was so great. She says, dads, please, in, in, in your children's life, please don't just tell them that they're beautiful. Because that will be the only thing that they will gauge their identity by. When somebody says they're not beautiful, they will, they will shudder. But if you tell them that they're beautiful, and that they're funny, and that they're smart, and that they are just amazing, and that they are needed in this world, and you couldn't, you just couldn't live life without them, if you just sit there and talk about how, how great a sense of humor they have, and how witty they are, if you do a full circle picture of who they are, then they begin to have a full picture of who they are, and not just gauged by their beauty. Practically speaking, speak all of these things into their life, remembering that you are speaking their language, finding times to say it. Don't just sit them down and tell it. Do it in passing. Do it at random times. Do it in front of people and embarrass them. Dads, that's your primary role in your daughter's and your son's lives, to embarrass them. And you're allowed to do it. Okay? I looked at, I looked at Sarah one day. She said, stop embarrassing me. I said, look, I, said, I love you and it's my job and I'll do it forever. And she's like, oh, okay, right? We play this role in their life. But let me say this. It's not just in our own children's lives. Have you ever done this to someone at church? Like if I look at Maddie right now and say, Maddie, you are an amazing woman of God. God has unbelievable things in store for you. We're in India. I just watched the Spirit of God moving on you. And I sat there was compelled to praise God and thank him for your life. Seriously, I'm not just saying this because part of my sermon, right? It's true. And the things that God has in store for you exceed the things that happened in your mom's life and your dad's life and should exceed the things that God's done in my life. You should exceed me spiritually because you've been underneath me and around me and beside me, and now you need to exceed me. Now, do you do that to people that you aren't your children? We should. We have this role to play as spiritual parents in our children's lives. The second thing is this. We have to model balance. We have to model balance. Verse 20 says, so he got up, the father, right? He got up and went, excuse me. So he got up, the son, and went to his father, right? He just had that moment of clarity. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Listen, talk about balance. Listen, the, the older sons let us know that his, fun, son, that his father has this burgeoning business. I don't know what it is, right? But they have lots of servants, and his son is working for him every day. He is a blue-collar blue worker, probably, doing, working in the fields, doing all this stuff. They are working all the time. 
But for some reason, the father is sitting on the front porch hoping and praying that his son will come home because he sees him from a distance, which means he must have been looking for him and probably had done that every day, was sitting on the front porch praying and hoping that his priority, his son, would come home. You see, the balance of his life is clear. What was his balance? His balance was family first and work is second. You see, the thing that we have to begin to to recognize is that we are stewards, right? We care for that we are guardians of God's children, right? So we have to help our children as they become adults to find balance in their life, which means this. With our children, our goal is to train them to see life as a whole, a connected adventure, Versus a frantic race from one expectation to, from one expectation to the next driven by an agenda. But it's an adventure to be lived that we are setting this balance for them, right? As we are claiming and experiencing not just with our mouth that our family is our priority, but that with our experience and by the things that we're modeling and doing, that our children recognize that they are our priority and that work is a distant second. How many of us struggled with parents or dads specifically who, who they said, Dad, work, family's my priority, but nothing about their actions actually represented that. And we as fathers have to model balance. Andy Stanley has a great book. I want you to all write this down. Andy Stanley, right? That's the son of Charles Stanley. Andy's the pastor at North Point Church. He wrote a book called Choosing to Cheat. If you've never read it, you need to write it down right now. Or your wife will write it down for you. Or children, you can write it down for your parents. Write it down. Choosing to Cheat. And he does this great principle for us, I believe, for for us men and for women who are in the workforce, to paint this picture of creating a priority. And the question he asks is this, who wins when family and work collide? Who wins, in our, who, who wins when work and family collide? See, in our lives, we are always cheating something or someone. In our lives, we are always cheating. We're always cheating something about someone. And what I mean by this is that, that we're giving up by cheating. I mean, we are giving up one thing in hopes of getting something else of greater value. I'm cheating one thing to find greater value in this thing over here, right? So cheating this vein can be both positive and negative. I, I, I give up my integrity to cheat on a test to gain a higher grade, right? I'm cheating one thing, my integrity, to, to gain something higher over here. But in a positive way, I can choose to, I can choose to cheat my appetite, by not eating a box of Krispy Kreme donuts when I drive by with the hot now sign on, right? Uh, and so, so that I can gain a smaller waistline, right? You see what I'm getting at? There's cheating that Andy's like, oh, that sounds yummy. That's the great biscuit this morning, but give me Krispy Kreme donuts, right? But there's this whole nature in our lives that we're always cheating something. And the idea is this. When it comes to, to our families, we must ask the question, where are we cheating with our time? Where are we cheating? All of us would say our families are our priority, but would our families agree that you have modeled this for them? And the problem is very simple. The problem is very simple. There just isn't enough time to to do everything that we need to do. There just isn't enough time. And we find ourselves in our work, in our work, that we find 
we find pleasure in it. We find a level of fulfillment when we do it, right? But the problem is, is when we find ourselves finding our greatest fulfillment in what we do for work and not finding our greatest fulfillment and satisfaction with our families and with our children and with our spouse. And so we find this tension and it plays itself out very practically. You begin to pray and say, God, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to finish everything at work. I don't have enough time to give to my children. I can't fulfill everyone's needs. I can't fulfill everyone's desires. I can't fulfill everyone's expectations of myself. And I'm having to cheat something. I'm having to cheat somewhere. Listen, when I flew into Florida, when I took the job at the Wesley Foundation, University of Central Florida, I remember flying in, circling Orlando. I remember looking out the window and my heart become a flutter. Because I recognize I may get this job. And when I look down as a bass fisherman who may not be as good as I think I am in my own mind, but I'm, I'm sure I'm passionate about it, right? I looked at and saw lakes I could not number. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is heaven on earth for me. But as quick as I said, this is a true story. I literally about stop and I go, but God, I've been married for two years. I have, a, at the time, a six-month-old, and Randall is pregnant. And I remember praying literally in the moment, God, if I move here, I will die to my passion for fishing for a season because I know that I have to be a good husband first, a good father second, and I have to be a good pastor to these college students third. And fishing and my hobbies needs to take a distant fourth at least or at best, excuse me, at best, take a different fourth. And, I, and Randall will attest, I, I fished some, and there were moments that I went fishing with Scott when he moved into town. I went fishing with my dad when he came into town. I did fish this big you know, BASS tournament. I was on ESPN, I'll just say that real quick, right? But, but for the most part, Randall will attest that I did a fantastic job of preferring her and preferring kids. Now, there were things I did. I wasn't a great husband. It was perfect, right? But they were in preference of getting home, that kind of stuff, right? I chose to cheat my passion and my hobby so that I could prefer her and my kids. And I would say that I still live by that in my life. And this is the idea. You see, what Andy Stanley would say is, I adopted this because my father, Charles Stanley, did not. And it literally led to his divorce. You see the nature of it, and he tells this beautiful story. He says, men or women, whoever it is, if I came to you right now and said, I want you to take 29 days off from work, make it happen, and spend time with your family, spend time with your spouse, spend time with your kids. For those who are business owners and very busy, they that is crazy. He said, but what do you do when all of it hits the fan? In your family. He said, a man came to me just the other day whose son was at a, at a detox program, a 29-day detox program. He was the president of this company. And I'll tell you what, he quickly found 29 days to take off from work to give to his son because he had not done it before. He said, it's amazing what you do when tragedy hits. It's amazing the amount of time that you can find. How are we doing? Men, fathers, because I'm speaking to you this morning, how are we doing at choosing to cheat? See, what he says, choosing to cheat work or something else that we're passionate about. See, what Andy says is this. He says, 
He says, by nature, when you choose to cheat your family, what you're in, sin, in, a, in a essence saying, God, I can't give the time to my family they deserve, so I'm praying and asking for your grace that you will care for them in my absence. But it doesn't work. And what he says is it's real simple. If you have faith to believe God to care for your family in your absence, then why don't you have enough faith to believe God to care for your job when you take time away in your absence? If you can trust him with your priority, why can't you trust him with your second priority? And he gets more practical. He says, so stop trying to climb the corporate ladder. Forego some raises. Forego the next step up. It's all really about you attaining something that you want for your own dreams and make your children and your family and their success the primary dream of your life. And you don't care about climbing, and maybe you will, but you don't getting at, right? You don't make that the priority that literally takes you away, but that you are giving yourself primarily to the thing that by mouth you say is your priority. You have to model balance. And the third thing is just really, really simple. Love like the Father. The Father says here in verse 31, My son, the Father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. That's to the elder son. But we had to celebrate him and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. See, this story, like no other, shows the true nature of a father's heart. In the moment, he shows generosity to a son who, who only works for him and is angry at him for no reason. We see grace and celebration shown to a son who had literally said, Father, I want my inheritance, which basically means you're dead to me. You only get your inheritance if you've died. But you're going to be dead to me, so give me my inheritance. And he celebrates the son who so wholeheartedly broke his heart. Why talk so much about being like the sons when the real question is, are you interested in being like father? Let's pray. Lord, we come this morning and we celebrate the roles of fathers in our lives and the role that you play in our life as a spiritual father and the model that you've created for us even here in this story. And we say, Jesus, we, don't, we aren't satisfied with connecting with the sons. We want to be like the father. We want to be like the father who forgives. We want to be the one who welcomes home. We want to be the one who not only receives but gives compassion, speaks destiny into our children's lives who speaks this idea of who am I, who models balance, and she just loves well. Father, this morning we're asking for grace to do this well. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.